Assalamu alaikum and welcome to our episode, Delight of Your Eyes, Raising Children Islamically. Um, inshallah, in this episode, we'll discuss kind of the different stages of childhood and what the parents are responsible for and some tips and advice for how parents can satisfy the rights that their children have towards them. Um, so children should be looked at in terms of the religion as a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, but even more so as something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put in the trust of the parents. That this is like an article, like an item that somebody leaves with you to safe keep and to look after. So just as you would look after a very precious item that someone left with you when they went on vacation, for example, the children are the same way. Because at the end of the day, they are from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they ultimately will return to him. So our job as parents is to give them the tools in this life to navigate in such a way that when they return to their Lord, they return in the best state, that we have prepared them for ultimately the day of judgment in the best way that we were able to. Um, so inshallah, in this episode, we'll look at it more from like a child psychology perspective in terms of what are the different stages that children go through and Islamically, what does Islam say in terms of how children should be approached in those different stages of their upbringing? In this stage, children develop quicker than they ever do at any other stage in their life, and they absorb so much of their surroundings. So the first stage of child development is between birth and just around that two-year mark. So in the continuation of this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِنْ that if you wanted to seek for someone else to breastfeed your children, there's no harm in that. If you give your children to someone else for them to breastfeed them, as was the habit at the time of the Prophet um, So kind of this discussion of breastfeeding or bottle feeding or donor breast milk or, or any of that, at the end of the day, what's important is for the child to be fed from what is halal. Because the flesh that grows from whatever food is provided for this child, the food has an impact on that flesh. So usually you'll notice that people who are sustained from haram, they lean towards what's haram. They have bad characteristics. Um, they lean towards committing sins. So as a parent, the best we can do in terms of sustaining our children is to provide for them from what is halal. 
So we know about the mother of the Blessed Prophet والسلام, that she sought for someone to breastfeed her child. At that time in Mecca, it was known that the women didn't want their children to have the very first stages of their life be in the city. They would rather them live in the open land where the air was cleaner, all of their senses are developing, um, so their sight, their hearing is getting fine-tuned, their taste buds, all of this happens in this stage. So it's extremely critical that as children are just learning about the world around them, what they're learning is the best that they can learn where the sustenance that they would be provided with was more wholesome. Um, so we can reflect the, the same way now that whatever works best for that child and for that mother is what's best for that child and for that mother, as long as that child is sustained and grows from what's halal. Um, in this early stage of life as well, um, the parents can be clever and how they begin to teach the child very basic fundamental characteristics in Islam. Um, so very important traits of good Muslims are patience, are things like humility, things like controlling one's natural desires, being gentle, and much of this can start at a very young age when children are just starting to express themselves, express their desires, the parents can have a very serious form of influence in that. Um, so if it is the, the case that when a mom is praying, she doesn't stop her prayer because the child starts to whimper out of hunger. And, and as a mom, you can tell the difference between a cry that, okay, she's starting to get a bit fidgety and a cry that, okay, this child is starving. Um, but the child will start to identify and recognize when my mom's praying, then I'm not going to get fed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Quran in ayah 233 of Surah Al-Baqarah that the mothers breastfeed their children for two full years if they wanted to complete the breastfeeding. Um, so breastfeeding is up to two years and at which point the child either will cut themselves off or the mom will, will start the weaning process. Things like being gentle, so not shouting around the child and encouraging in the house to have a more soft and gentle and forgiving environment because that's what the child is going to see as normal. Um, and even things like certain habits and behaviors, um, if a person only ever gives a child food to eat in the right hand and not allow them to eat if it's in the left hand, even though the child does not differentiate between left and right at that point, they will differentiate that if I extend this hand, then I get food in it. But if I extend that hand, 
then I don't get food in it. So even though, yes, the child is very young, the parents still are able to start influencing how the child sees this world. She didn't even leave a single grain of rice. Now you can have dessert because you ate so much. But then when that habit still carries on, when they're 12, 13, 14, going to the doctor because they're obese and they're put on a fitness plan that all of a sudden there's a problem. The problem was from the beginning. The Prophet ﷺ mentioned that the children of Adam do not fill a container worse than the stomach. So it shouldn't be ingrained in children from a very young age that they should always be full. The next stage of development for children is between two and six years. And this is when the curiosity of a child really hits. When they start asking loads of questions, why is it like this? Why is it like that? And religiously as a parent, you should answer their questions truthfully. Because the reason they're asking is they're trying to piece all of the bits that they've recognized in the world together in a way that makes sense. So you would rather them start off on the basis of truth from the most trustworthy source to them, which is you, as opposed to lying to them or concealing things from them in a way that later on in their life, when they learn what the actual reality of this matter is, they look back and say, my parents didn't tell me that. My parents lied to me. Lying in general is haram in the religion. But especially when it comes to the parent-child relationship, any lies that start even from a young age, it shows that there was deceit involved. And at the end of the day, the parents want to be the most trustworthy source for their children. You want your children to come to you seeking advice. You want your children to come to you with help in determining what is right and what is best. So you start off with that from the get-go. And at this stage is when children can really be taught we are doing this because this is part of our religion. This is what Islam tells us to do. So even if their understanding isn't completely there, they're able to soak up so much information in this stage and they just memorize it. So at this stage is when you would start to teach children what Islam says about our beliefs, about our actions, our acts of worship, so you tell them statements like, Allah isn't anything like us. Allah created everything around us. We worship Allah. Prophet Muhammad والسلام, is the best of all creation. And he was a great man. He came to teach the Muslims how to worship Allah. Allah sent him the book called the Quran. And you teach the child from the, the short surahs. You have the child memorize surahs. Memorize Al-Fatiha, memorize what's said in the prayer, even though no, at this stage they're not praying, but their ability to memorize at this stage is so strong. And this is why children are taught in nursery, nursery rhymes and the days of the week in a song and these types of things, because at this stage they just retain it. 
So the same is true with the religious knowledge. You teach them different aspects. Maybe it's the actions of wudu as a song. Um, you teach them the different sayings of the prayer and things like dua, different dua when eating, when going into the toilet, when coming out of the toilet, when waking up. All of these types of things, you just get the child to memorize them and repeat them. Even if they don't understand, they, they may not understand Arabic at all. They may not understand what it means to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect us from the jinn, but you still get them used to saying it. And another thing that this really helps in is in their pronunciation, because if they're exposed from a very young age to the sound of the Quran and the sound of the Arabic language, even if it's just the Arabic letters and the names of the week in Arabic, any basic, basic vocabulary it helps them to be able to pronounce correctly when it comes time for them to memorize and read the Qur'an. Um, also at this stage, they can really be taught the good manners of the religion. Um, so you teach them from this age, you don't speak to me like that, I'm your mother. In Islam, you have to respect your parents. You take them to their grandparents' house and show them how they should help their grandparents. When they go to the grandparents' house, they tidy the shoes up, they fold the blanket, they fix the pillows on the sofa, anything to let them know that in Islam, we respect elders. This is something that we do. And a three-year-old child can understand that. A four-year-old child can understand that. You take them with you to visit the neighbors and show that these are neighbors in Islam. We must look after them. We must take care of them. When guests come, you let the children know we serve the guests. You go get the water. Who's going to get the cups? Get the children involved so that from a very young age, this is all that they know. They don't know anything different. And it's better to build the child on good habits and good practices as opposed to trying to go back and fix that once it's been done wrong. Um, also, when it comes to kind of managing a child's behavior and their inclinations, religiously, one aspect that the scholars talk a lot about is controlling how a child behaves when it comes to food. Because naturally, most people are very inclined towards food. They like to eat a lot of food. They like to eat good tasting food. But if a person is able to control themselves and control their behavior when it comes to food, then usually you'd find that they're able to control themselves and control their behavior when it comes to other aspects in the world, when they're aggravated and irritated by other people or something upsets them or something makes them angry, they're able to control that because they were trained to control themselves when it came to, to the concept of food. Um, so what they mention in terms of practical ways to help a child with this is first is to get them used to absolutely whatever they're offered to eat. So now where we have this concept of, oh, my child is a picky eater, so I cook three or four different meals, this is not good in the religion. Because what this teaches the child is that they will always get whatever it is that they want. It should be the completely opposite. 
that whatever is put in front of them, either they eat it or they leave it. But they don't complain about it. They don't say, I don't like this. I don't like that. Because the Prophet ﷺ, when he was offered food, if he wanted it, he would take it. If he didn't want it, he would leave it. But he never complained about food that was put in front of him. Um, also, we should teach them that it's better to eat less and that eating a lot of food isn't actually something praised. Now, in society, unfortunately, it's gotten to a point where a young child who is two or three or four years old who eats a lot, they're praised. Look at she finished all of her food. Oh, yeah. Or at least to not be the first one to jump at it. Um, this doesn't show or express good manners on the part of the child. Um, they should also not be allowed to eat so fast that they haven't finished chewing the previous bite. This shows a lack of manners when it comes to eating. Um, the scholars also mentioned that sometimes the parents should feed the family very simple food in a way that the child doesn't get used to always eating in a luxurious way. Now, nowadays, what we consider as a daily food, that in the past was known as luxurious. To have chicken every day, to have a meat dish and a chicken dish and a veggie dish if you want it. And if you want, there's pasta. And actually, if you don't want that, if you don't want what's offered, there's always the option of ordering a pizza or we can get a burger. For the child, that's not good because not every single time in their life will they have options. It may get to a point where a child who actually isn't a child anymore, they're a grown adult, they're in a sticky situation. But if they've never eaten beans and rice for dinner, if they've never had a sandwich for dinner, then they don't know how to adjust. When that time comes, should it ever come that they can't feed their wife lamb and chicken and dal and rice and chapatis, and, then they might turn to something haram in order to live at that standard that you raised them with. So even though in society, it might look like how dare she only give her children a sandwich for dinner? Or how dare the children go to bed with cereal for dinner? They ate. Alhamdulillah, they ate. And it's known about the Prophet ﷺ that months would go that the fire wasn't lit in his house. And this is the best of Allah's creation. He would survive on dates and water. And he was sent as an example to the people for how to live their lives on this earth in a way that they will succeed in the hereafter. Among what the scholars also mention is to praise good-mannered children in front of your children. So if you see a child who is respectful with their parents, if you see a child, for example, who's memorized in the Quran, you see a child who doesn't swear, doesn't have bad language, praise that to your child. Let your child know this is something that makes me happy. This is something that is good. Also, it's mentioned to not get the child used to 
caring about and inclining towards expensive clothes. Um, and at this age, in the age between two and six years old, the child has no money of their own. They, they really don't have much of an inclination or an opinion of what's good or what's bad. They only form that based on what we expose them to. So it shouldn't be that if they wear a pair of sneakers or trainers that are inexpensive, they hear people talking about it in comparison to when they wear a Nike tracksuit that everybody's, oh, wow, look at, he's got Nike on. This is not good for the child. At the end of the day, from a religious perspective, this stage is termed as primumayiz. This is before the child is able to differentiate for himself between what's right and wrong. It falls on the parents to expose them to what is good and teach them that this is good. And if they're exposed to what is bad, to teach them that this is bad. So when they reach the age where they themselves can discriminate, they have a base to discriminate on. They know in the religion this is right and in the religion this is wrong. The child should also be taught to not be the first one to approach food. So when food is put down, they should let the elders take the food first. Um, this brings us very nicely into the next stage of development, which is known as the stage Islamically of Tamyiz. So this is between usually about 7 and 11 years old where the child understands what's going on. They're able to see what's happening in the world and deduce reasons behind that and really pair things together based on their own understanding. This is when the aql really starts to solidify itself in the child and this is when the work really starts for the parent. This is when it's, for lack of a better term, crunch time because they're not yet accountable. They're not yet held account for leaving out obligations or for committing sins. But this is when they are treated as though they have to do these things. Um, so the Prophet ﷺ mentioned in the hadith that when your child reaches seven years old, to order them with praying. And the scholars mentioned that the same is true for fasting, if the child can bear it. So if the Prophet ﷺ is telling us, order your child at the age of seven to pray, they must have learned how to pray somewhere. So the scholars have deduced that when the child is mentally discriminant, they can tell what's right and wrong, and they reach seven years old, this is when the parents have to teach them how to pray, have to order them with praying. But the most important thing for the parents to teach their children is the belief of the Muslims, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the creator of the entire universe, and he is the only one that deserves to be worshipped. He's not like the creation in any way whatsoever. He is the only creator. And he sent prophets to teach the people how to live their life on earth. The last 
of the prophets and the best of them was our prophet Muhammad and the parents would teach the child some of the issues that the prophet informed about like the existence of paradise and hellfire and who goes to paradise and who goes to hellfire um, some of the sins that Muslims are prohibited from committing so we don't kill unjustly, we don't drink alcohol, we don't have relationships, intimate relationships with people that we're not married to, it's haram to lie. All of these issues would be taught to the child because they understand. So whether that's the parents directly teaching the child at home or they send the child to an Islamic school for that or a madrasa or a Sunday school, it doesn't matter where the child learns from per se, as long as the parents are making sure that this is taken care of. Um, they also make sure to ensure the child is able to clean themselves properly um, after using the toilet and how to bathe themselves independently, um, to not expose their aura to people without any reason. At this stage, the child is dealt with from a religious perspective as an adult with guidance and without responsibility. So as adults are required to pray, the child is ordered to pray. As adults are required to fast, the child is ordered to fast. As adults are not allowed to backbite, the child is forbidden from backbiting and disciplined for doing so, so that they can be taught at this age everything that they need to know so that when it becomes compulsory on them and the pens start writing for them, they're prepared. Now, many people, especially nowadays, they feel as though as long as I send my child to madrasa and they are reading one page of Quran every day, my duty towards them is done. This is not the case at all and this is not in accordance with what the Prophet ﷺ did with the young companions. Of course, learning to read the Quran, learning to recite the Quran is of a, a great deal of importance in the religion. But that doesn't take precedence over understanding what the Qur'an came with. Just reading the Qur'an without having any idea of what is in it, it doesn't prepare the child for adulthood. It's more important for them to learn what the Qur'an came with, which is how to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and how to live this life as an upstanding, obedient Muslim, that's more important than reciting the Qur'an with the highest grade of tajweed, but not knowing how to pray. The companions mentioned that they were with the Prophet ﷺ and they were young boys, so they were younger than pubescent. And they learned Iman before they learned the Qur'an. Then the Prophet ﷺ taught them the Qur'an and that strengthened their iman. And anyone who learns in this way can testify to the truthfulness of the statements of these companions. So if the person learns that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made 
praying compulsory on the believers. And they accept this. Then when they get to the point that they read the Qur'an and they come across the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that certainly prayer has been prescribed upon the believers in specified times. This solidifies for them that yes, prayer is an obligation on the believers. The same thing with fasting, the same thing with paying zakah, the same thing with the prohibition of killing, the same thing with leaving out drinking alcohol, all of these things. The person learns first that this is what the religion of Islam says. And when they come to the Qur'an to learn that, their iman and their belief in the truthfulness of Islam increases. Um, and of course, that's not to say don't send children to madrasa. This is extremely important. But part of the responsibility of the masjids and of the madrasas, if they're taking over the responsibility of teaching these children about their religion, is to teach them how to pray, is to teach them the rules of the religion. And unfortunately, nowadays, the masjids are under a lot of pressure for the children to finish the Qur'an, just finish the Qur'an with tajweed, without tajweed, with understanding, without understanding, it doesn't matter. The parents are pushing. So as parents, we need to take a step back and refocus and actually think what is most important for my child to learn right now because simply finishing reciting the Qur'an at 9, simply finishing reciting the Qur'an at 11, while not knowing how to pray, not fasting, not understanding anything about zakah, not knowing what's haram and what's halal in the religion, this isn't something that finishes the parent's job. Yes, alhamdulillah, the child can read the Qur'an, but what's more important for them is to understand what is in the Qur'an. So the last stage that's identified in like child development theory is usually from 12 to adulthood. That's how it's classed. So even from a psychology perspective, 12 is where you would identify, okay, this is no longer a child in the sense of a physical understanding that puberty and what happens both physically and mentally at that stage, there's a definite difference between a child who is pubescent and a child who is not in terms of their physical body, in terms of their mental level of understanding and accountability. And in Islam, this stage is known as bulugh. When a child reaches religiously what's classed as adulthood. So for the male... This happens based on one of two different happenings. Either he sees his seminal fluid, whether that's through a dream or while he was awake, or he reaches 15 lunar years. So either one of those, whichever happens first, this boy is now religiously classed as an adult and he is accountable. And for the girl, it's one of three issues. So either she sees her menses or she sees her sexual fluid 
or she reaches 15 lunar years. So any one of these three things, whichever happens first, this would make her religiously considered as an adult. So this is when the angel starts writing any sins that a person acquires because the stage of Tamiz between seven and puberty, the child is able to acquire good deeds, but no sins are written for them. This shows the great mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But after reaching puberty, the child, who actually from a religious perspective isn't classed as a child anymore, this is when their sins start being recorded against them. So they should be made to understand that they are responsible for what it is that they choose to do. Their habits have probably formed at this point. Um, it's not easy to change the viewpoint of a 14-year-old girl. She's pretty set that she knows the way the world works and her way is the best way. And at this point, a lot of the times, the best the parents can do is sit back and watch. It's not that, of course, they let their children fall into sins and not pray and not do this and not do that. Of course, they're still responsible from the angle of being a Muslim and being obligated to order what's good and, and forbid what's evil. They have to order their children to pray and they have to order their children to fast. But the sense of control that they have over that child severely diminishes. Um, so the parents at this stage should try as best as they can to fill that child's time with what is good. Because usually mis mischievous behavior and bad friendship groups and these types of things, they start to form because the child has free time. So whether it's that the child is in clubs that they enjoy doing that take up their time, but what's better than that is to really encourage the child to attend the circles of knowledge. If after school they go to the masjid for, they continue going to madrasa, it shouldn't be that when a child hits 13 and 14, that's when we stop sending them to the masjid. It should actually be quite the opposite, that that's when they should really start to take a role in the masjid and maybe even have responsibilities if they help call the adhan or they help clean or they have a leadership role within the madrasa, something so that they're not just out in the street with nothing to do. Um, it's also at this stage where the choices that they're making are really setting them up for adulthood. So as parents, we really should be guiding our children to make decisions that will put them in the best position to marry, in the best position to eventually have a family. They will go out into the world and be expected to get a job and be expected to lead a family. But if as parents, we haven't prepared them for that, then they really can't be to blame because they were entrusted to someone else to teach them how 
to carry these roles. For this episode, we requested for some of the listeners to send in some jewels of advice that they had regarding child rearing. Um, so we'll listen to that. One of my advice regarding raising children Islamically, we can read to our children um, the prophet's stories, um, uh, read to them the prophet's miracles, and how uh, they, you know, they they did courage and how how brave they were, uh, how kind they were. Even though people, most people were not kind to them, but they were still kind and nice to other people. And it will not be difficult in in the future for them to follow the sunnas and um, uh, even to uh, guide other people um, as. Uh, as they will see the prophets as a role model for them from an early, from a, from an early age. Assalamu alaikum. Being a mother of four, I have learned that each child will grow up to be their own character and have their own personalities. Some will implement and understand certain matters sooner than later, and others will do it at their own pace. Do not add to your worries about stressing over them. It is natural to do so, but remember they will grow up to be their own person. You can only teach them and guide them what's within your means. Embrace raising them whilst remembering seeking the rewards. Just to close this episode, we'll think about what we started with, with the fact that children are safekeeping. Children have been not given to us because we don't own them. We can't do with them whatever we please. We can only do with them what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Quran Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu qu anfusakum wa ahlikum nara wa quduhan nasu wal hijara. O you who believe, protect yourselves and your families from the fire of hell, the fuel of which is people and stones. So the scholars in explaining this ayah, they mention how, how does a person protect themselves from hellfire? They protect themselves by learning the rules of the religion and applying them. They learn for themselves and they teach their children so that their children and their family can abide by the rules of the religion so as to be safe on the day of judgment. When children were put in our care, they were at the utmost state of innocence and purity, completely flawless in their bodies and in their hearts. And while being in our care, blemishes started to grow. Traits started to be acquired that aren't the best. As parents, we should put the utmost effort to keep the slate of our children as clean as possible, and to really see the job of raising children as a job. It's not that we just feed and clothe our children 
and leave them to the world in the way that an animal is fed and sheltered. These are Muslims that have a higher status to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than even the blessed Kaaba. So we need to put as much effort as we possibly can into fulfilling the rights that they have over us and in safekeeping what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has left with us so that they truly are prepared when they return to their Lord. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us amongst those who fulfill the rights of our children and raise them to be upstanding Muslims as best as we possibly can. Walhamdulillah wa sallallahu ala rasulillah. We'd really like to hear from you, so don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Umtalha Speaks and send us across any message or feedback, um, any questions that you may have, so we can incorporate that into this podcast.